Well, good morning, South City Church. My name is Jeff Franks, and I'm one of the elders here at South City. Uh, these are certainly unusual and trying times for each one of us and for all of us together. Uh, we are thankful that, for the most part, our family is healthy. Um, the only fever that Colleen and I have been struggling with is cabin fever, and I know that uh, that is no stranger to any one of you, except there are some of you I know that uh, don't have the, the luxury, if you want to put it that way, of uh, sheltering in place. I know we have policemen, we have medical workers, we have uh, grocery workers in our family of families here at South City, and they go to work every day. They're really laying down their lives, and we appreciate them so much. So may the Lord keep them in good health and each one of you in good health during this, this very trying season that we're going through. Like every other church in, in uh, Little Rock and perhaps in the whole nation and most of the world, uh, we have, cannot gather physically. The coronavirus uh, pandemic has for, forced us into a completely new context. Honestly, it hasn't been all bad. Uh, over the Zoom application, our small groups have been meeting, and we've enjoyed our time with our small group. It has been such a blessing to see each other's faces, to be able to share in real time the things that God is doing in our lives or concerns, and to, uh, to bear one another's burdens, uh, both by sharing and in prayer in our small groups. So I'm so thankful for that. Also, I've enjoyed connecting with many of you by telephone, and uh, it has been my desire to encourage you when I call, but each one of you, every single one of you, has encouraged me back so greatly that I'm truly thankful for that. And I have to say, I love you in the Lord Jesus, and I am truly thankful to be here at South City Church. And we are continuing this morning, the series called Ecclesia. Every time the word church comes up in our English New Testaments, in the Greek original, you'll find the word ecclesia. It happens to mean church in many languages, even today um, on the face of the earth. Specifically, our series is focusing on the seven churches in the book of Revelation which received the letters from Jesus Christ to the angels, which can also be interpreted as messenger of the church. So that is what we are continuing this morning. And I believe, and I hope that you see this also, that hearing from Jesus himself on how the church is doing, what he values, what he believes in every single church is of paramount importance for us so that we can be His church, His called-out ones in this moment, in this moment. And, and so I hope that you, you will hear this message will be a blessing to you and that you'll, uh, you'll grow from it and learn to apply it. Last week, Drew shared deeply and meaningfully about how Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus, encouraging them in the things that they did well, but re rebuking them in one area, that they had lost their first love. And this was so important, so essential to Jesus, that he told them, if they did not 
repent. If they did not remember the things from which they had fallen, repent and return to their first love, that he would remove their lampstand from its place. And as I've thought about that message and I've reflected over it, I, I have to ask myself, have I come to love anything in my life more than Jesus? Have I allowed something, anything to come between me and my Lord? If you have even the slightest sense that this may be so in your life, I would ask you to spend more time in prayer, asking God for grace to do these things Jesus told the church in Ephesus, to remember from where you have fallen, to repent, to return. Repent just means turn the other direction, turn around, and return to your first love. There is no greater love for you than the love of Jesus Christ. The result will be refreshment in every way, refreshment in joy, refreshment in peace, refreshment in ultimately the, re the repentance and restoration of others because this really isn't only about you. It's about all those whom God wants to bless through you. Well, let's turn now to our passage, which begins in the second chapter of Revelation at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Again, that's in Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Now, the church in Smyrna, little house church, needed Jesus' words because in all churches, just like in any other church, some members are weak, others are strong. The idea that the persecuted church is filled with heroes of the faith is not really a true picture. Although, thank God that there are heroes of the faith out there in the persecuted churches of our world, yes, uh, and there are some among us. The great temptation, though, for the persecuted church, listen, because this is important, is to live by sight. That's our natural mode. That's the way to, to we, we tend to rely on our five senses. And to us, we think, well, that is our reality. That is our reality. And when we do so, it becomes very easy to give in to depression, to discouragement, even despair. And this is the real experience of every persecuted church in the world today. As you know, Paul, the apostle, who was also greatly persecuted, declared 
he declared this. He said, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Because I'd like to draw you this morning into the experience of the persecuted church, especially the persecuted church in Smyrna, which is representative for all churches throughout the ages until this very day, I want to, what I'm going to do is call the first part of this message, walking by sight. That's what we tend to do. And that's why the persecuted church, those that are especially weak in faith in the persecuted church, can become so discouraged. It is the Walking by sight is the discouraging and actual experience of persecution. I want to draw you into that. So let me introduce this little town of Smyrna and the church that was in it. Smyrna was a thriving town in Asia Minor. It was on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. It was ruled by the Romans, and it had a very large Jewish population there. It is uh, where Izmir is today on the west coast of Turkey. In the first century, it had the reputation of being the city most loyal to Caesar. In fact, uh, it had, in a competition with other cities, it won uh, the right to build a temple to the emperor Tiberius. Now, the local Jews slandered the Christians in the little church in Smyrna. They slandered them before the Roman authorities because they had no power of law unto themselves. We know this tactic from Acts chapter 17, where Paul had planted a church in Thessalonica, and the Jews in Greece had set the whole city of Thessalonica in an uproar against Paul and Silas. And they claim this. This is a quote from Acts chapter 17, 6 and 7. These men who have turned the world upside down are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. It's the same thing here in Smyrna. Just as in Thessalonica, the Romans were eager to prove their loyalty to Caesar. And so they believed the slander. In fact, they used that slander to prove their loyalty to Caesar, you see, by attacking this small church. So imagine yourself being in Smyrna's situation. Here you are. You're surrounded by hatred, <clears throat> by spiritual darkness, paganism, emperor worship on the one hand, and deeply entrenched hatred by the Jewish community on the other. And you're here between this rock and a hard place, so to speak. You need to meet secretly in somebody's home. Probably you rotated from house to house so that people would not, you know, identify one home alone as the source. Uh, you had little or no opportunities for education. And uh, your ability to be apprenticed at a skilled job was completely out of the question. Like many... Um, who were, who were slaves, uh, the church had to work in menial jobs, most likely working in sewage canals, waste dumps, and the like, uh, places no one wanted to go. So Jesus, when he speaks to them, he speaks tenderly. He says, I know your tribulation. 
and poverty. Chuck Swindoll introduced the scene like this. Imagine yourself sitting among the gathering of God's people in Smyrna on a cold morning before sunrise. A small, lamp-lit room houses the remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. The once lively crowd of Christians now displays obvious gaps where men and women once sat. Some of your number have fallen away under the persecution. Others are simply gone, arrested, exiled, or executed. Some of you risked your lives just to meet this morning to pray, sing hymns to God, and to read from the Holy Scripture. All of you are outcasts, desperate for a word of encouragement from the messenger sitting in your midst. In the dim light, the pastor unrolls a scroll and begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. Whispering and shuffling in the room ceases. When you hear from whom the message comes, from the, ris the risen Lord himself. The entire group seems to hold its breath when Christ begins his commendation. I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. So it was in Smyrna. And brothers and sisters, so it has been in churches in some part of the world, in every age from then until now, Smyrna, because of the words of the Lord Jesus given to it, was representative of all the churches that have been persecuted throughout time, throughout our history. So the house church in Smyrna reminded me of a church that I visited in Azerbaijan in 1997. Nick Demyanov, my Ukrainian co-trainer, and I were training pastors and missionaries in Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan. And Pastor Zawur was one of our trainees. Uh, because we were going to Georgia, he invited us to go to his, his house church, which was in the far western part of Azerbaijan, very close to the border to Georgia. And as we uh, approached his home in the car, he pointed out to the side of his, his house, and there were bullet holes all along the side of his house. Two windows had new frames and weren't completely repaired. He said last week, a, the police drove by in their Taiga Soviet Jeep, and they, they strafed the side of my home with automatic weapons fire. Fortunately, my, my wife and my two children were unharmed. We were all unharmed. He said, but it frightened us so much, and yet our people continue to come and worship in our home. Well, that night in Zaur's home, we gathered for church, and his church every Sunday gathered, and to this very day, I believe, still gathers Sunday evening. They started coming family by family about five minutes apart, uh, on Sunday evening around 10 p.m. And by 11 or 11.30, the room was filled. I didn't count the people. Probably maybe 30, 35 people were in that room, including children and little children and babies. And so they, they were all there. The singing was very hushed because they didn't want to wake the neighbors. It was quiet. 
The preaching was in Azeri language and in, in, the, uh, uh, in the Georgian, both Azeri and Georgian languages. It was translated for me into Russian. And they worshiped this way, sang until about 2 a.m., and then they left as they came. They left five minutes apart, ten minutes apart, and they went back to their homes. And I was so moved. I was so moved because I thought, what would motivate them to risk their discovery and arrest and as families? Why were they so motivated to, to take these risks to meet the way that they did? And I think you know the answer. I knew the answer. The answer is Jesus and the love of Jesus. There's nothing greater than the love of Jesus. Um, so the next day, while Nick and I were uh, attempting to cross the border into Georgia, the authorities saw our Bibles and they confiscated them. They saw our church planning training materials. We had tried to hide them, but they, they, unsuccessfully. They confiscated those too. They arrested us, put us in a police car, and they drove us 30 miles to a police station. And at the police station, they interrogated us, and they held us for several hours, and then they, they let us go with a stern warning. Don't let us ever see your faces here again, or we will not let you go home. Well, I had heard many stories of persecution in uh, living and working in Ukraine, in Russia, from the brothers and sisters who have endured so much. And uh, they, all these stories touched me. But this, time, this experience I had in Azerbaijan gave me the first close-up view of the normal Christian life, the normal Christian life. You know, a few, few years later, I was not surprised to learn <clears throat> that Pastor Zaur was arrested. He was sentenced to several years in prison for anti-Islamic activity. And I did see him again after his release, and he was so cheerful. He was so bright, and he was returning to his underground church in Ali Abad was the name of the town that, that his church was in and still is to this day. However, he did not invite me to come and visit a second time. Now, was I disappointed or relieved? Honestly, I, I think it was some, some strange mixture of both of those emotions. Um, dear friends, the, the first, both the first century church of Smyrna that Chuck Swindoll so, so vividly introduced us to, and that church that I just told you about in, in, in Ali Abad, Azerbaijan, these two churches are united by the words of Jesus that he spoke on the last, the last night before his arrest and betrayal. Um, he said this to his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. When Jerry Kidd and I first began working with Iranians, from their underground churches. We held a Bible conference in the country of Armenia 
And uh, remember that Rick Russell from Life Word Radio and uh, Charles Costa, missionary in Lebanon, also took part in this conference. And the Iranians told us that receiving baptism in the, uh, on Iranian soil is a capital crime. Now, there are so many today that are coming to Christ by faith in Iran. It is, it is just the house churches are exploding there. And yes, they are baptizing people. People are being baptized in bathtubs for the most part, wherever they can be uh, brought under the water and raised up again. And uh, the, the, the government sim simply can't keep up with all of them there. It just doesn't have the power to, to, uh, uh, to persecute them all and to stop them all and to, to prosecute the crime. Some, a few leaders here and there, they managed to, to arrest and put in jail, but they, they're just too many. But the real danger for those who do take baptism there, the real danger comes from families. And one young man at that conference in Armenia helped us to understand. He lifted his shirt, pointed to a, a wound in his side, a scar, and he said, this is, a, this is a bullet wound. He said, on the day that I was baptized, I was returning to my home, and my cousin came out from behind the corner and pointed a pistol at me and shot me. This, dear friends, is the normal Christian experience. It is the normal Christian life. On a later occasion, I was... Uh, had the, the privilege and opportunity to do many Bible conferences in Armenia and in Turkey for Iranians who came. And in another conference in Armenia, two young men, brothers, came to attend our conference on discipleship and to be baptized. And the night before the baptism, the older brother did not sleep the entire night. He, he, he told us in the morning, and he, before their baptism ceremony, he wept and he sobbed. And he said, I cannot be baptized today. I cannot lie on my application to engineering school in Iran. But if I tell, because if I tell the truth on my application, they will refuse me. And this is my dream. This is my career. I cannot, I cannot give it up for baptism now. And so, again, in most countries of the world, this is, this is normal. This is normal. By the way, his brother, his younger brother, did receive baptism. And they, after his younger brother was baptized, they both hugged one another and for a long period of time and wept. And we all wept. We all wept. So it has been in every country, from Smyrna in every century, from Smyrna to the present. And so I would ask you to remember your brothers and sisters in Azerbaijan today. Remember them in Iran, Iraq, China, North Korea, places where, where the normal Christian experience is to endure persecution from people who hate you and, and, and use every opportunity to restrict your rights and privileges in life. So, now again, the great temptation for the persecuted church is to give in to fear 
to give into anger, to give into discouragement. In other words, it's to live by sight. Life in America, mainly because of our, our Christian roots, uh, has in large part spared you and me from that, that common experience. Now, this has been a great blessing. We will admit that. But in another sense, it has kind of spoiled us. Kind of spoiled us. It's really spoiled us. Uh, but now uh, we can all see the cracks in our foundations, can't we? Uh, the times, dear friends, they are a-changing. Now, could Smyrna or Aliabad be you and me, be us in the near future? I believe it's entirely possible. And if so, what then can we learn from Jesus' words to this little house church in Smyrna? Now, Smyrna, in the letters uh, of Jesus through John to the messengers of the churches, Smyrna is one of two churches that heard nothing, but no rebuke from Jesus, no negative words. The other one was Philadelphia. Jesus gave no rebukes. Everything was positive. Now, some of the people in Smyrna had indeed been living by sight and were therefore discouraged greatly. Now, Jesus did not rebuke them. He showed them a reality that they were missing. He showed them himself and the true state of affairs, the true way of things. Jesus showed them that the unseen source of their opposition, as you heard in, the, in his letter, little letter to them, was Satan. It was demonic. It was from the devil. So let's look again at, uh, at how Jesus called them to raise their eyes to him and open their ears to hear from him. And I hope you can do that this morning because Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So the second part of this message I'm going to call walking by faith. The first part was walking by sight, our common natural experience. Second part is walking by faith. Seven encouraging realities of God's unshakable kingdom. Now, please take note of these seven elements of Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna because you may encounter persecution and need them yourself, or you may need to comfort somebody else by telling them about these seven encouraging realities. And encouraging reality number one is in verse 8. We read, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last. The first and the last. Well, first of all, the words... I want to say this, that the Word of God is alive and powerful. In the beginning was the Word, yes, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And in, in short, Jesus' words, they bring faith and life. They have the power to heal, the power to change, the power to encourage, the power to inspire and lift us up in whatever situation, to ground us, to strengthen us, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. So that's why I think that's very powerful to remember. These are the words of Jesus. But he also calls himself here the first and the last. And that is the name that God uses of himself in Isaiah in chapter 44 and also in chapter 48. Now listen, this is from Isaiah 
44.6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Jesus is telling Smyrna that as God, he has the last word. Now, the words from the synagogue of Satan certainly discourage them. The words from the Roman authorities certainly discourage them. But Jesus is telling them, no worries, dear children. I am the first and the last. I am the Lord of all history, and I have the last word. That's what they're hearing from him. His words demolish all slander. In the end, there will only be truth. Remember how Jesus said, I am the truth. Oh, yes, we will spend eternity with truth, with him who is the truth. Yes, Jesus as God has the last word. But not only does he call himself the first and the last, here he says, who died and came to life. And that is encouraging reality. Number two, Jesus as man has overcome death. The first and the last highlights his deity. And who died and came to life is a phrase that highlights his humanity. Both his deity and his humanity are coupled in these two phrases. Jesus took on human flesh. He suffered the most horrible death that anyone could imagine. He bore our full judgment and the wrath of God for the sins of you, for yours and mine and the entire world. And he rose again. He is our risen Lord. And we can say, not just at Easter time, but every day of the year, he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Yes, Jesus as God has the last word. And Jesus as man has overcome death. Now look at what he says next to Smyrna in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty. So encouraging reality number three is he knows your tears and your troubles. Look at what he says next to Smyrna in verse 9. Uh, I'm sorry. I know your tribulation and your poverty is what he said. So he's not a distant, impersonal creator. He is close. He cares. He himself has endured pain and trials and troubles. He can sympathize with yours. He's never further away than a whispered prayer. Yes, he knows your tears and your troubles. And so he adds then, but you are rich. And that's encouraging reality number four. You are rich in his riches. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, all things are yours, and you are Christ, Christ's, and Christ is God's. He went on to say, the Spirit himself, this is in Romans chapter 15, by the way. He said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Yes, if you are his child, then you are his heir. You are rich in his riches. In verse 10, Jesus goes on to say, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison 
that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Encouraging reality number five is that your testing is defined and measured by Jesus himself. Therefore, fear not. Your testing is defined and measured by him. Now, are the ten days here literal or are they symbolic? You know, I have no doubt that for this little church in Smyrna, these ten days were as literal as can be. They came to pass just as he, as he spoke to them in their setting. But you, it doesn't matter what angle you look at the Word of God. You can look at it through a microscope, through a telescope. You can look at it for a, through a narrow angle. You can widen the angle out and back out and see it. And it is true at any level you look at it. As a matter of fact, in, in this case, uh, if we back out and look at the centuries, the worst period of persecution from the time that Smyrna was going through her persecution until A.D. 251 or so. No, in fact, later than that, 313. Uh, say 250 or more years. Uh, there were 10 emperors of Rome, 10 Caesars, uh, the, each one of them representing an era that I suppose we could call a day, 10 days. So backing out, looking at 250 years of history, 10 days, we had under Nero, 54, A.D. 54 to 68, Paul was beheaded, Peter was crucified upside down. Under Domitian, A.D. 95 and 96, John was exiled to Patmos. Uh, <clears throat> Emperor Trajan burned Ignatius at the stake. Marcus Aurelius had Polycarp martyred. The 200 A.D. to 211, Septimus Severus killed Arrhenius, one of the church fathers, right, great writer, prolific author. 235 to 237, Maximinus killed Ursula and Hippolytus. Then there was Decius and Valerian, Aurelian, and finally the worst of all, from A.D. 303 to 313, Diocletian, 10 eras, 10 Caesars, 10 days of persecution. Symbolically, just as the number seven in Scripture often speaks of divine perfection, the number 10 speaks of fullness, of completion. An example of this is the Jewish brides were given a headdress of 10 silver coins. And uh, this for the, for the bride meant fullness of joy, fullness of love, fullness of faithfulness in her marriage. And you remember how in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus gave the parable of the lost coin, he said, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? You see, it wasn't just the coin. It was what the coin meant symbolically to her and even to her neighbors. So, was the 10 days that Jesus spoke about of their persecution in Smyrna, was it literal? Yes. Was it symbolic? Yes. Was it literal in the narrow sense, in the immediate sense? Yes. Was it literal in the broader sense for the 10 days of persecution? Yes, it was true. Any angle you look at it, it is perfect and true, and, and, it, and it, it means something, not just for this church in Smyrna, but as the Spirit spoke to the churches, of all time, including our church 
here, South City Church in Little Rock. So 10 is a number of fullness, a number of completion. And that's how Jesus wants you, dear friend. He wants you complete. He wants you lacking in nothing. Do you have many tears and sorrows? And fear not, fear not. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So take heart, fear not. Now, encouraging reality number six is, listen to these words, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And that is that, that he took a crown of thorns to give you a crown of life, dear friends. So when you fought the good fight, finished the race, when you have held true to your Lord until the last breath, he says, I will give you the crown of life. Now, this doesn't mean never failing. It doesn't mean being perfect. It means remaining close to him in honest confession, yes, confession to him, and in repentance all along the way, not to turn away, not to forsake your first love, to stay with him, to hold in through difficulties, through trials, troubles, and even your own failures, and just stay faithful to Jesus. So lastly, we re read the seventh encouraging reality is Jesus said in verse 11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Listen, dear friend, this is the last of these seven realities that Jesus encouraged the church with. The second death will never hurt you. Therefore, overcome. You need to know that this promise was not for everyone, but only for those who come to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to the Father except but by Him. So this is only for those that believe in Jesus, that He died for you, that He rose again for you, you repented of your sin? Have you given your heart to him? Uh, some people uh, will object as I read Revelation 20, 14, and 15. The scriptures say this, this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, come now, Jeff, I don't need your fire and brimstone. Listen, my friend, I'm telling you the truth. There is a lake of fire. Tell me this. Why did Jesus leave his heavenly throne, come down to this earth? Why did he, why did he go through a horrible death for you? Why did he do that? Why did he take these desperate measures? You know, the scriptures say, no greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Not only did he speak this, he actually did it. Now, if, there, if Jesus did not suffer and die, he did not go through a terrible, torturous death, then I might say, okay, well, there, maybe there isn't any second death, no lake of fire. But he did go through those desperate measures, and he did it for you. Let me tell you, my friend, there is a lake of fire. There is a second death. John Piper said this. He said, there is something worse than death, namely the second death. God is not mainly in the business of sparing us from the first death or the pain that leads to it. He is utterly devoted to rescuing us from the second death, from the second death. And so when Jesus was on the cross, he had you in his heart. He took in his own body the punishment that you deserved so that you would never have to experience this. He knows you intimately. He watches all your ways. If you can acknowledge your sin before him today, if you can acknowledge your need for his forgiveness, he will fully forgive you. 
and make you his child. Then each of these seven encouraging realities in this letter, they will be true for you, really true for you. If you've never done that, I invite you right now to bow your head. Pray with me. Pray after me if you need to. It's not the words that matter. It's the attitude of your heart. So let's go to the, to the Father through Jesus in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that you are the only way to the Father. Oh, I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm truly sorry. Thank you for loving me enough to die on the cross for my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Make me your child. Give me the grace to live for you and follow you all the days of my life. Amen. I hope that you prayed a prayer, and I hope that you meant it with all your heart. And if you did, you are his child. You will live with him forever. You'll never have to taste the second death. So if you live by faith, your heart can rejoice in these words to Jesus, a little church in Smyrna. If you live by sight, things certainly will look difficult. They will look discouraging. You can give in to despair. But remember his words. Remember when you have the opportunity to encourage anyone, whether it's you going through persecution or someone else going through persecution, remember these seven realities. I'll read them to you quickly. Jesus is God, has the last word. Jesus as man has overcome death. His eyes on the sparrow, he knows your works, your pain, your opposition, your trials, your troubles. Number four, you are rich in his riches. Number five, your testing is defined and measured by him. Number six, he took a crown of thorns to give you a crown of life. Be faithful. Number seven, second death will never hurt you. Keep overcoming by faith in him. Thank you, dear friends of South City and all of you who joined us for this message May God bless you.